welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Up. But tonight, I want to. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about um, the idea of wealth and poverty, but from a different perspective than you might um, think. That song that we just talked about right then, uh, that, we, that we just sang, "Withholding Nothing." This idea. I mean, did you really consider those words? How counterculturally cultural the words are that we just sang. You said, I surrender all, I give myself away. Think about how crazy that sounds to this world. Withholding nothing, I give myself fully to something that I cannot control. That's the exact opposite of what we hear, right? Um, So there's a movie, I don't know if anybody, you don't have to volunteer this information if you don't want to, but if you whoop real loud, we're gonna know you saw it. Uh, There's a movie called Get Rich or Die Trying. Some people seen it. Starring 50 Cent, Lamont knows it. Um, you've heard it said, whether you've seen the movie or not, you've heard this concept, right? To get rich or die trying. This is our aim. We want to accumulate as much as we can for who? For ourselves, for us. Or we're just going to die trying. We're going to give it everything we've got to get rich or die trying. Today, I want us to look at this scripture from Matthew chapter 5 and see how Jesus, this is the title of the sermon, okay? It's not very original. Get poor or die trying. What Jesus calls us to do in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount as his followers, remember portrait, you see in the bottom corner here, the name of the series, portrait, is that Jesus is painting for us a beautiful portrait of who a disciple of Jesus is. And he says, if you want to follow me, this is who you are. You take my identity upon yourself. And what he says about poverty and riches is kind of staggering. Let me ask you a question. Um, And think think about it monetarily for now. We'll get into the spiritual part in a minute. But um, what would come in someone whose motto is get rich or die trying and those riches? What comes between them? Nothing, right? They will let nothing get between them. That's what the die trying part is about. Like, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. If I have a relationship that's in the way of me making money or amassing the material possessions that I want, cast it to the side. I'm moving forward. I'm going after my goal, right? If there is a boss or if there is a, um, uh, or maybe even, even better, if there's a coworker in my life who's challenging this for me, maybe they're up for the promotion along with me, I'm getting rich or I'm going to die trying. So what's going to stop me? Nothing, right? I'll do whatever it takes to get to get ahead of that person. And this leads us to, you guys watch TV, you watch movies, you know what our art is like these days. It leads us to what you see in the TV show Suits, if you've ever seen that before. You will do anything it takes to get ahead, even if it means crossing a few lines, right? So we will do anything to get ahead in this earth. Listen to this. A 2017 study from the University of Buffalo It was reported in Science Daily magazine. Uh, Not my normal read, but I found it. Um, (laughs) And listen to what it says about people who pursue money or possessions 
in order to boost their self-esteem or to find their self-worth. Listen, to this. this is quoting the study. We found that people who based, who highly based their self-worth or financial success used more negative emotion-related words like sadness and anger. The study goes on to say, this demonstrates to us that just thinking about a financial problem can generate a lot of stress and negative emotion for these individuals. How many of you say, I didn't need the University of Buffalo to tell me that? <laughs> I have found in my own life, through my own experience, that when I think of financial problems or finances in general, I usually think of words like sadness and anger, right? Because these things can be so closely tied together, riches and negative emotions. Nothing will come between us, someone who's trying to get rich or die trying, and their wealth. However, for some reason, we have a hard time. I mean, they had to do an entire study on it to try to tell us that, right? We still have a hard time believing it enough to act differently. We still want to pursue these things. And that's because this concept is so ingrained. I'm, I'm theorizing to you today that that's because this concept is so ingrained in our hearts, right? It's moved past something we think about. And it has gotten down into our gut, into what the Bible is going to talk about here in a minute, is called our spirit. And it stopped being just something that we think about or even something that we just obsess over. And it's something that we feel. You see that connection? University of Buffalo said, people who are thinking about finances feel sadness and anger. And I'm saying they're, hit, they're touching on something that's very important here. And that is that when we start letting our minds be controlled by a certain way of thinking, it can change, begin to change our spirit, our soul, our emotions, how we feel and how we respond to others. So the more we pursue the things of the earth, money, pleasure, material possessions, fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. I call the things of the earth things that do not survive eternity, okay? So if you find your, if you're looking for your worth or you're, you're pursuing after these things, things that do not survive eternity. Quick poll, uh, anybody know what does survive eternity? Souls. Yes, God created us in his image. And he says our souls are eternal, right? Our body passes away, right? We see that happening. You can look at the, go, go look at the kids in the nursery, right? Go up to them and just do this right here. Nice and firm, right? And then go up to someone else in this room. Maybe just do it to yourself. Maybe, Candace, don't go to somebody else. And then, and then do this, right? If you're older than a nursery kid, what's going to happen? There's a little more give, don't you think? A, little, a few little wrinkles, right? So our bodies fade. Our souls last forever. And so when we pursue the things that fade, instead of, uh, sorry, the more that we pursue the things that fade, the less we pursue God. The more we pursue the things of the earth, the less we pursue God. And Jesus tells us later on in this sermon, you cannot serve both God and money. Serve means um, let it take you hold, right? Like picture yourself saying, I am at your service to someone. Jesus says, you can't say money, I am at your service. And you, and you can't say God, I am at your service 
at the same time because you will love one and hate the other, right? So in pursuit of money, in pursuit or even in, in thinking or, or, or desiring money, we become consumed and we can't stop thinking about it. But here's what I want us to look at today. Matthew chapter five, let's read, I'm gonna read verses one through three and we're gonna focus on verse three because we did one and two last week. Um, but in order to gain, this is, this is what our world says and then listen to what Jesus says. The world says this, in order to gain a fair kingdom for myself, using the term kingdom lightly, I know none of us are literally looking for a kingdom, but in order to gain a, a fair playing field for myself, I need to focus on me. That's what the world says. If I want a fair playing field, I better focus on me. Listen to what Jesus says. In verse one, he says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them saying, here's our verse for the day. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just do a few words so we're on, so we're on the same level playing field. We're understanding what we're all talking about before we jump in. Blessed. This word right here is so full and rich, and we don't use it in our everyday language. So I want to give you some of the pictures that you can have in your word when you hear it for the rest of the time we're talking about the Beatitudes. All right, blessed. The simplest translation of this Greek word is actually happy. Happy. Happy are those. But if you go a little bit deeper, you remember, so the, so the New Testament was written in Greek, and when we translate it to English, just like when you translate anything from one language to the next, sometimes things get a little hairy, right? Because you say, well, it, it means that, but, but differently. It me means a little bit more, right? So here's what else blessed means. It means happy, but it's, it's, it has the weight of it where you would go to this person, if, if, you, if, you, if you weren't this person, but you knew them, you would go up to them and you would say, congratulations, congratulations, right? And then this person is experiencing what? Happiness, right? The joy, the blessedness, the, um, the peace, the smiles, the fulfillment that comes with, with having done something that somebody congratulates them for. Anybody ever graduated from something before? Right, high school, college, something like that. When people come up to you and they say, congratulations, what you think back on is all that hard work that you put in. And what you're, what you're receiving from them is this accolade that makes you well up with joy and pride, but pride in the good, healthy way, right? Like, I'm proud of all these things that I've done and, and this person's recognizing me. It makes me feel good, it makes me feel happy. So that's blessed. Everybody cool with blessed? Happy, congratulations. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he means. Um, and then let's talk about, we touched on soul already, it's eternal, that's the spirit there. Let's talk about the kingdom of heaven, okay? Real fast, the kingdom of heaven is this place in which Jesus Christ reigns eternal. So the only, uh, it's huge, we could preach a whole 10-week series just on the kingdom of heaven, but here's what I want us to be picturing for this morning, okay? Or for the rest of this time during uh, Matthew chapter 5. In man's kingdom, the king stands or sits on a throne, and the people come and do what before the king? They bow. That's how the kingdom of earth works. Cool? Now, this is all we're going to do on this. This is the exposition of the kingdom of heaven. 
That's the kingdom of heaven right there. In the, uh, that's the kingdom of earth, sorry. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, who is the king, comes off of the throne. He walks over to the people, and he, the king, gets on his knee. And this person says what? No, 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 I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. You, you can't get on knees for me. And Jesus says, I came to serve even the least of these. And he takes off your shoes and he washes your feet, showing you that in the kingdom of heaven, everything that is natural to us here on earth is flipped. Flipped upside down. In fact, a lot of churches, when they preach this, they do something called the upside down kingdom, right? I've actually done a series before at another church that I was a pastor at. We called it upside down kingdom because this whole passage is about how God's kingdom is upside down from man's. So now let's jump in. You got blessed. That means happy. And the kingdom of heaven is stark, starkly different than the kingdom of man, right? The king gets on his knees and serves the people. This place is crazy. Now, I want to talk about, I thought about like doing a hundred dollar bill or something like that, but then <clears throat> I didn't have a hundred dollar bill, <laughs> but I have a 10. Um, so you guys know what currency is, right? This is, this is how we pay for things in, in, uh, in stores, right? These cups were paid with, with currency, this iPad, everything's paid with money, currency, right? This is physical currency. It, it has value, intrinsic value based on, I don't know, the gold standard. Not, not anymore. It used to be that. I don't know what it is now. But the point is, you understand the concept of currency. Today I want to talk about something called ego currency. Everybody say ego. Ego. Ego currency. If you have a, a, something to take notes, a few things are going to pop up on the screen. And you can just jot them down if you want your memory to be jogged as to what God may teach you today. But the first thing that we're going to talk about is how we are called by God here, to remain poor in ego currency. Now, if we're talking about physical currency, and I said, everyone close your eyes by a show of hands. How many of you want to remain poor in U.S. dollars? How many would raise your hand? Some, maybe one. Ms. Jean raised her hand. I'm not sure what that means. We'll talk about that later. Most of us, though, we don't think off the top of our head, like, hey, you know what? I want to remain poor in currency. We don't think there's any value there. Why? Because food costs money, living costs money, um, you know, clothes, all these things. We want, we want to have. Now, you might not say, I'm not get rich or die trying. I'm not, that I'm not that greedy. But the point is, we don't want to remain poor. And Jesus calls us here. He says, happy are the poor in spirit. So poor in spirit is, is a, another one of those phrases that has a lot to it. And the best, the best way to describe poor in spirit in one word in the English language is ego. Poor in spirit is our ego. God is saying to be poor in your ego. Now, listen to this. This must be understood today because we have a problem with self-esteem in our culture. In our culture, um, we see people with low self-esteem Right? And we say to them, what? Think more highly of yourself. So our only answer to someone with low self-esteem is to tell them to get more self-esteem. But you understand there's a danger to that, right? Because how many people do you want to be around who have a self-esteem that's too high? That's someone who's egocentric. It's all about me. And so then you tell that person, well, hey, hold on. You need to what? 
lower your self-esteem. So then you just go, it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a balance, right? And it just keeps tilting back and forth like a seesaw. Higher self-esteem, lower your self-esteem. Oh, I was thinking too lowly of myself. I better raise up my self-esteem. And you can get on this, um, this roller coaster ride of self-esteem and really never own or know what you're supposed to be. And I heard a sermon by a pastor. If you're ever looking for us, uh, you just want to listen to a sermon of mine, I highly recommend Tim Keller. He's a preacher here in New York City. And he has a sermon where he talks about this line. You ready for this? He says, poor in spirit, this ego problem that we have is because all we know how to do is to tell people to think less of themselves or more of themselves. When Jesus calls us just to think of ourself less. You hear the difference? We say, your self-esteem is too low. Think more of who you are. Think more of you. Your self-esteem is too high. Think less of you. And Jesus says here, don't worry about that. Just think of yourself less. In other words, Larry should not spend much time sitting around thinking about Larry. You know how to tell you when you've been around a truly humble person? You tell you've been around a truly humble person, not necessarily in that, like there were some really humble people here before you came in this morning. There's about um, eight or 10 people that were setting this stuff up, right? This was a blank canvas when we got in. White walls, white floor. All these chairs, these are humble people, why? Because they chose to give up of their Sunday morning to come serve you and me, right? That's a humble person. But how do you know if you've really been around someone who's not doing it for themselves? And this is how. You spend an hour with someone one-on-one -on -one, and you walk away and you say, that person only cares about me. All they did that whole time was ask about me. They were just caring for me so well. They were looking in my eyes. They weren't checking their phone. They weren't looking at their watch. They were just, they just seemed to be so concerned with me. You see, a humble person is concerned with the people who are around them. They have realized that ego currency, right? Thinking so much of themselves is something that they don't want to have any part of. So this is why I said I titled the sermon, Get Poor or Die Trying. I don't mean poor in money. I mean poor in ego currency. We should be a poor people and we should be happy for it. We should feel like we're being congratulated. You are so good at thinking less, uh, thinking of yourself less. Just thinking of others and, and how you can serve them. This is what Jesus meant when he said, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, a little bit about why our nature yearns so much for this ego control. Have you ever sat down and thought about it? Why do I want to be comfortable so much? Why do I want material possessions for myself? Why do I want my life to be better than others or at least as good as everyone around me? It's because I think ego currency um, is something that we can control. I can control how much ego I have, at least to a certain extent. I know, you know, they, we've already, we've, we've re relearned the bad lesson we were taught as kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now we learn that that's wrong. Words do hurt. They have lots of power. Words can hurt. 
in a more lasting sense than sticks and stones, right? Because if I threw a stone at you and it bruised your, your cheekbone, you would heal up in a couple of weeks. But if I said something insulting to you about the way that your face looked, that lasts, doesn't it? Anyone ever had someone who said something insulting about the way that they look, their physical appearance? And then you just feel it in your gut when you look in the mirror, when you look at pictures. It might be years later, you might look at pictures that someone took now and you remember that person's comment. Doesn't even, usually it doesn't even have to be someone who you're super close to. It could just be a stranger, someone who's not even in your life anymore, but it's stuck with you, right? So, uh, so words can hurt, that was a tangent. Uh, but ego currency is something we can control. Even if others say bad things about us, we can give ourselves a pep talk or we can call a friend, they can lift us back up. We can get control of our ego. Our culture just glorifies it, though, right? We must be successful. We, uh, you guys ever heard of Terrell Owens? He's a wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, Dallas, he was on the Cowboys, yeah. Um, there is this fantastic, you can look at it on your, on your GIF cre uh, you know, search bar next time you wanna send someone a funny GIF, it says, uh, he says in a press conference, I love me some me. And I make fun of it all the time, but if we were really honest, how true is that? I love me some me. Don't we love ourselves some me? Terrell Owens is just the only one foolish or courageous or silly or crazy enough to say it out loud in front of a, a press corps, right? But, but we do. We love ourselves some me. And Jesus says, not to think worse of yourself or to think better of yourself, but to just think of yourself less. Think of yourself less. Um, a, listen to this one. A big ego, I, I don't know Terrell Owens. I'm not going to trash him. But that type of ego, he did say that. I'll say that if that's who he is, that is the enemy of poverty of spirit. A big ego is the enemy of poverty of spirit. If you want to look at this portrait that Jesus has painted for us and you want to see yourself in it, a big ego must be lost. That's why we sing the song, I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you, withholding nothing. Because, you know, uh, poverty is when you have nothing. This, uh, this poverty of spirit is when you say, my ego, I'm emptying it. It's, I'm going to pull the drain like on the sink after I did dishes. I'm just going to pull it, pull the drain of my ego, and I'm going to let it all run out. And I'm going to embrace the happiness that is found in an empty ego stomach. A big ego is the enemy of poverty of spirit. That's not just an idea that I had, though. It's in Scripture. Check this out. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a beautiful portrayal of what happens when someone who is poor in ego comes face to face with the living God. Uh, what happens before this verse I'm about to read is that um, Isaiah is sitting and all of a sudden he has this vision of the Lord. And the Lord is high and lifted up and he's majestic in all of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds are shaking when the voice 
of the Lord calls. His voice is, so, we could turn these speakers up as loud as I can, and my voice would never shake one of these walls. And this temple is not built like that temple. That temple was built to last, right? And God's voice shook it. So that's the majestic, that's the image that you see of God. And in verse 5, Isaiah says this. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees the Lord, he sees himself more clearly than he ever has before. You see, when you and I encounter the living God, our ego, as rich as we think we are in it, is squelched. And the reason is because when we see God for who he really is, there is no other way to see ourselves than for who we truly are. Poverty of ego comes when we see the glory of God. Um, it's really interesting that woe is me is what Isaiah says here. Because in the Greek, Jesus goes around and he says to some cities who don't, he preaches in some cities and they all just kick him out of the city, right? They don't, they don't have any, any time for this message. So he leaves, this message of love and peace and this new kingdom. They say, it's not for us. And when he leaves them, do you know what he says to some of them? Woe is you. The same phrase that Isaiah says, woe is you. Now, <clears throat> follow this. That phrase in the Greek, woe is you, that Jesus says to cities, is the exact opposite of blessed are those. In other words, it's the opposite of congratulations. Shame on you, we might say, right? That's kind of, <clears throat> this is why the translating thing gets roughed up. It's a little different than congratulations, but you can tell the, the similarities, right? Congratulations, Summer, you graduated. Shame on you, Summer. You didn't do the work. You wasted all that time and that money. I'll give Summer a hug later. Don't worry. So the point is, Isaiah is saying, woe is me. I have nothing to offer because my eyes have seen the king. I have seen the Lord high and lifted up. This is poverty of spirit at its core saying, woe is me. And our, our culture has a hard time following it because we think if, you get, if, you're, if you're that low, how could you ever get ahead in life? This is where we keep going. Because less of me equals more room for God. God's, our culture says if you get so low, that low, that poor in ego currency, how could you ever accomplish anything in life? How could you ever gain anything in this world? And Jesus says that's because the key to having more of God is to having less of you. You know what happens to Isaiah right there? He says, woe is me. And then he says, God, uh, sorry, God says to him, hey, I, I, I need someone to go and serve me. Who shall I send? Who's going to go for me? And, and Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And God chooses Isaiah and lifts him up and places him in a place of prominence. And Isaiah goes out and serves the Lord because less of Isaiah meant more room for God. 
And in the same sense, less of us means more room for God. We say, woe is me. I can't handle these children anymore. Just me? I got four of them, so. But God says, blessed are you. These children are a gift from me. And your love for them isn't based on how they act. It's rooted in my love for you. We say, woe is me. I can't do anything right, and I never get ahead. And God says, blessed are you. I will do things through you that you never imagined. God has big plans for you. You might say, woe is me. I've been stepped on by everyone that I've ever loved. God says, blessed are you. I will never leave you. And I will never turn my back on you. We say, woe is me. I am just desperate for something real to break through into my heart. Everything seems so cheap. I just want something real. And God says, blessed are you. That's the invitation I was waiting for. Because less of you equals more of me. And when we get, we must get, when we get to that place where we must get of saying, I just want something real, God says, I've been here the whole time and I am here for you. And finally, this one, uh, we say, woe is me. I just cannot lay down this anxiety. Oh, do I worry. I'm anxious about things that I didn't know you could be anxious about. And then I'm anxious about that. And I worry about that. And God says, blessed are you. Give me your burden. It's not too big for me to handle. And I will in return give you rest. Poverty of spirit makes room for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Poverty of our spirit makes room for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the way these Beatitudes are written, so fascinating to me. I learned this about the Beatitudes just as we're studying for this new sermon series. The way these Beatitudes are written is that what, what the writer was saying, Matthew, these are the only way. It's like this. Blessed only are the poor in spirit. For theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how we would say it. He's not leaving room for someone else to like fish in. Look, there was someone rich in eagle currency. They made it into the kingdom of heaven. That's not how it works. So the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is for us to let our spirit remain poor. And finally, as we close, once you go into this, once you empty yourself of the poverty of spirit, you can't turn back. Why? The same reason that once you are congratulated for something and you experience that feeling of happiness, you would do anything to get it again. This is actually why get rich or die trying is a real thing. It's because when you got rich once or you got something once, that new pair of kicks or that new TV or that uh, new couch, 
you see all I can think of as material things. But for some of us, it's our, uh, our savings accounts got to a certain level, right? Or our house. Once we got it, what did we feel? Happiness. But it didn't stay. It didn't last. It fell away. And we'll do anything to get back to there, right? Anything to get back. Poverty of spirit is not the same. Jesus is speaking this over his followers. He is saying, this is who you are. Once you are found in me, you are blessed because you have been given poverty of spirit. It is yours. Don't turn back. You can't turn back from poverty of spirit. Jesus wants us to see that this poverty of spirit is for us and it is for always. Matthew chapter 26 Verse 51 says this. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus, this is when Jesus was about, he had just been betrayed and the army was with him in the garden. They were going to take him to crucify him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For everyone who takes the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Rhetorical question. Don't answer that. The answer is yes. You see, once you go into this, you can't turn back. The disciples were starting to get it. They thought they got it. And they were in the garden with Jesus. And, and Jesus got rolled up on by a whole cascade of an army. And they said, swords, swords. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If I wanted to handle this situation in that way, I would do it. And I wouldn't use your sword. <laughs> I would use God's angels, legions of the angels. But listen, you can't turn back. That was the simple lesson right there to the disciples. When you follow me in this way, you follow me all the way. And that's why I left in or die trying. We are to get poor. And it's not like something we turn back from. We are to give it all we have, just like someone who's trying to get rich gives it all they have. Except the beautiful thing is, in get rich or die trying, when someone gets in your way, what do you do? You shove them to the side. In get poor or die trying, someone gets in your way, and what do you do? You do what Jesus did. You get on your knees and you serve them. You become this humble, compassionate person who sees people. You ever been around someone like that? That person sees me. They just know. They just ask the right questions every time. What is it about them? It's that they're humble and they, they love you and they care for you. They're not concerned with themselves right now. That is why you can't turn back. The disciples couldn't turn back and start using swords after Jesus taught them. And we can't turn back once we empty ourselves of ourselves. Because we are not seeking our own kingdom, we can finally seek God's kingdom first. You think, I can't do this. And I say, you are right. You can't do it. And neither can I. Because we're seeking our own kingdom. But once we stop seeking our own kingdom, then we can finally start seeking God's. And, and we're going to preach more on that later because that, that phrase actually comes up in this uh, passage, uh, to seek first the kingdom of heaven. All right, anybody ready for next steps? Because of what we've heard, what do I do next? Listen to this, Philippians chapter 2. 
says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Wait, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Remember I said you have been given this. You can't turn back from it. This is yours. You ready to hear what's yours? Oh, first, who, Jesus, who through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. Now here's what's yours. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death in a torturous way on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. someone inconveniences me, what's my response? That's how often you're thinking about yourself. If you get inconvenienced by something, you need to check your ego. Because that means that your way is the right way. And if they break in, it's not for me. So check your ego bank account. Next thing is this. You can do this right now. Tell God the same thing Isaiah wants honesty. Friends, God just wants us to look at him and show us what we have. He wants us to say, God, I want to be emptied with me. I want to be emptied of me. I'm just having a hard time doing it. And he'll say, it's all the invitation I needed. Let me show you. The last thing is this. We didn't focus so much on this, but this is, this is where we go forward from about possessing the kingdom of heaven which is yours in your poverty of spirit and that looks a lot less like this come to me and a lot more like this what can I do for you that's how you 
That's how you intentionally possess the kingdom of heaven. So back here, we have a couple of tables. And our prayer team will be back there ready to pray with you. If you, if you th don't think you can empty yourself of yourself on your own, we'll be happy to help you. The beauty of Queen's Church is there's no judgment here. It's not like you're going to come back there and say, you know what, I need to be emptied of myself. And they're going to say, oh, you got an ego problem, huh? Well, let's talk about that. It's not how it works. You know why? Because we got an ego problem too. Prayer team doesn't make you perfect. It just makes you willing to walk with others. So come, spend time praying. You know what? This carpet is close enough for you, and it's soft. I knelt on it a few times. If you say, you know what I need to do? I just need to be present with the Father on my knees right now. In front of God and everybody, I don't care who's watching because I know that they are just loving me and praying for me while I'm down there. You come and get on your knees and say, God, woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips, but God, I have seen you, and I want to be emptied of myself. God will pull the plug. You just got to give him the invitation. Let's pray. The band will sing. We'll worship this final song. And let's respond right now while we're in this moment so that as we leave, we are leaving, being transformed by the renewing of our minds because God's word is true and holy. Let's pray. God, we love you and we, we give you the glory. Just like Isaiah did, God, we say to you, we are unclean. God, we have sin that is real in our hearts. We have puffed ourselves up so as to be rich in evil. Jesus name.